Throughout our lives, we long to love ourselves more deeply and to feel connected with others. Instead, we often contract, fear intimacy, and suffer a bewildering sense of separation. We crave love, and yet we are lonely. Our delusion of being separate from one another, of being apart from all that is around us, gives rise to all of this pain. Sharon Salzberg. Bending Not Breaking, Season 2, Episode 4, The Swamp. And we're back again for another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I am Sunshine Mayfield. This is Ben Pruitt. And before we get into everything, if you just finished listening to the last episode, wasn't my sign-off, like, perfect? Like, it was really good. For someone who, like, always has a trouble signing off and speaking in those terms say it again yeah it was uh that was i think i was really proud of myself so i'm just gonna give myself a little bit of self-care and be like or a little bit of like "Mm, props to myself nice yeah that's what i wanted that's how i wanted this episode to begin way to way to connect this episode to last episode oh my goodness that goes into our lens um so have we already introduced ourselves did i already mess that up or did i say we share names. <laughs> yes. Great. Yes, uh, we didn't did. introduce. We didn't introduce. As good as your outro was. For my the last my episode, intro was terrible. <laughs> that was the same level of bad for your intro to this one. Oh, thank you. That that was the one and only Max Gongaware, um, our lovely producer. Welcome back, Max. And may I say, I'm also doing a really, really good job of like keeping us in check and like making sure we sound lovely. You sound fine. When people say fine, like, it's fine. That's not yeah. really a positive. That's Yeah, it's on a scale ne- of 1 to 10, where does fine fall? I think, like, a 4. Yeah, 4 for you, Max. Solid 7. Yeah, for me, it's closer to, like, middle of the range. Like five, 5, 6. I guess because people would be like, it was fine. Like, I had a fine meal. Like, that, I would say that that's a or good like, connotation. Or, like, ooh, that's fine. Sure, that would be a more positive connotation. Yeah, but when I think of like when people are like, "Yeah, I'm fine." How was that movie? How did you like Joker? I'd it was like, fine. That it was fine, right? It was a five. Um, but yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about the swamp today. Um, and that was a lovely quote for from you earlier, Ben. What? Why? Why choose that one? You know, I really enjoy that quote because it starts just thinking about it it connects me to the pain but it also connects me to why that pain exists it's the delusion of being separate from one another right really in reality we are all connected and i think that's honestly what love does is it connects us and i think that's something that really helps us see something in one another that is different than what we would normally see without that lens. Love gives us a chance to see each other in a way that connects us more than we ever thought we could. Because what love does is it gives me a chance to see myself as inextricably connected to you. And if I think of love in that fashion, that if I see myself and you as one unit, I'm going to treat you differently than if I see you as separate. And we, right? saw, we saw that a lot, especially in the partisanship episode with the dehumanizing language and why yeah. it's being used is, um, that was the episode when the two tribes were trying to walk to safety and they had to go through the canyon. Um, but we see this moment of, I'm going to use dehumanizing language to separate the two, the us. Yeah. So that it is easier for me to mistreat you. Fun fact, that episode is commonly regarded as the least appreciated episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. Interesting. Like it's rated the least on like IMDb or anything else? I watched some video that said it was the least like, like out of all the episodes appreciated, it was the... like less rated, etc. all that jazz. When I think that just shows you you can really, if you're looking at anything, you can pull, you can start to pull meaning out if you start to look for the deeper meanings. But we saw a lot of dehumanizing language in that episode, yeah, we did. which was used as a tool to separate. And so what you're saying, uh, if I'm hearing correctly, is that by showing love and compassion, that it strengthens that bond and makes me actively treat you and assume things of you um, better or differently than I would if I didn't feel any form of connection. Yeah, but I think going back to the quote, it's saying that us being separate is the illusion. 
right? That's the illusion, not the fact that, oh, if I see this differently and I put myself in this lens, then we are connected. No, that's like, that is we're connected. Yes, we are connected. And so what love allows us to do is allows us to see that connection. And that makes us where we are at our best. And so that's why I think like all these religions are surrounded by love and focused on love is because it's what allows us to treat each other the way that we are meant to be treated. Hopefully. Hopefully. Hopefully that's the point of, of religions. But yeah. So before we dive even deeper into this episode, I'm going to go for my favorite portion of our episodes. And what seems to be Max's least favorite portion is Max's uninformed recap. Ben, I believe you chose the keywords for today. And we'll give him the intro and the outro. And to be fair, Max, it's really tough because the intro and the outro have nothing to do with the actual episode like it is very much like its own separate story arc that connects between the very first scene and the very last scene and then every everything between um takes place in a different place entirely so i apologize for that yeah that is gonna make it really tough for me but i'm i'm believing you and i i wish you luck appreciate it scene one of this episode Zuko and Iroh are begging on the street trying to earn some money to pay for food and they're just living expenses. Final scene. Zuko as what we well, what we believe to be Zuko as the blue spirit attacks and seeks revenge upon a guy who was not kind to Iroh earlier in the first scene. Your keywords are tornado Illusion, Banyan Tree, Swamp Monster, and Waterbenders. Max just gave me like the biggest grin on his face because last episode I told him that we were not going to write down these things and he would have to do it from memory as he's typing the keywords in on his own notes, just staring at me with this big old grin on his face like, I outsmarted you, which is not difficult, but he... He did. Touche, Max Gongware. Are you ready? The most impressive part was that I was able to stare at you while typing everything perfectly. Is it perfect? Were there zero errors? I mean, I don't know how to spell banyan tree, but... (laughs) Okay, are you ready? 30 seconds. I already forgot the first and last scene. Did you really? Do we need to repeat it real Zuko, Iroh, begging, trying to make a living, trying to survive on the run. Mm -hmm. Last episode, Zuko, as the blue spirit, seeks revenge upon a guy who gave them money earlier, but was kind of mean about it. Great. On your mark. Get set. Go. All right, so the episode begins with those two dudes begging about something. And then, as we all know, the rest of the episode has nothing to do with that opening scene. So what happens in the rest (laughs) of the episode is a man from Krakosia gets lost in a terminal. And... It's because it's because his country went to war while he was on his flight to the United States of America. And so they don't let him into New York City. And what happens is he has to live inside the terminal for like up to three months at a time. <laughs> Not one mention of a keyword yet. And so it's, you know, at first he doesn't speak any English. So, you know, it, walking around that... that terminal it's like a it's like a tornado of sensitivity and like his sensory uh senses are 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 tornadoing um and you know living in new york is is just an illusion right now because he's stuck in this terminal and there aren't any banyan trees in the terminal because the banyan trees don't thrive in inside of airport terminals but he teaches himself english by reading a magazine specifically articles about a tv show called friends you may have heard of it there was not one single swamp monster (laughs) In an episode of Friends, however, there was a monkey named Marcel in several of the episodes. Now, he falls in love with a character played by Catherine Zeta-Jones, Amelia. Uh, she dips under lasers. You meant to say beneath. That was the wrong preposition, my friend. Uh, but that's okay. You have 10 seconds left. <laughs> yeah. We're so it. ultimately, we realized that the reason that he even came to New York in the first place was because he wanted to... Um, get the autograph of one of the world's most famous waterbenders uh, slash jazz musicians, um, Benny Golson. And 
ultimately five through this whole series of events Four. he does eventually get Benny Golson's autograph Three. and, and then we have Two. that we go back to the dream sequence where there that something mean happened to One. Zuko and and Anya <laughs> <laughs> um I love the imaginative imaginative nature of that storytelling Max so oh yeah really I've never heard that story before have it's you ever good. actually seen that movie I've seen it several times what I saw movie? it in theaters <laughs> The terminal, Max. Sunshine, you have 30 seconds to recap the episode. On your mark, get set, go. Iroh and Zuko are begging for coins on the side of a street, and Iroh asks to sing for a coin uh, to dance, and then nothing like a fat man dancing for his dinner was said. The gang is flying over a swamp, and Aang becomes entranced. And then uh, a tornado happens, and Appa's trapped in vines, and Montepichu sets him free. Um, Aang is then being nicer uh, to the swamp. 15 uh, seconds. Sokka's cutting through vines, and then boom, swamp monster comes, and they all get separated. And they see things, and they hallucinate, and then they come back together, and then they five seconds. People are trying to eat Appa, and they realize that everyone's on the same side, and the banyan tree connects us all, and then Zuko uh, hits someone with a sword. You did a really good job. I missed some things, but you did really well. Thanks. I'm impressed, especially with my inaccurate timing. I have no idea how long I actually gave well, you. Well, we well let's let's dive into this a little bit more. People will be listening at one and a half speed anyway. There's no way to know for <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's right. Is that a thing people do while listening? Are you a pretty oh, big always listening, always one and a half speed? I never do that. Interesting. Always. That, that, I, I that couldn't tell you the last time I listened to it. You're a big podcast it. listener, so that makes sense. Uh, you listen to a lot of episodes. Not of this one, though. Do you do the same with audiobooks, or do you feel like that like, I, no, no. changes the... I've never done an audiobook. The pitch rises. I don't like it. Yeah. I'm currently listening to the Golden Compass audiobook, and it's quite uh, good. I've never tackled that before. Is Nicole Kidman reading it? She is not. Apparently, and I haven't seen the they movie They do have either. a full cast reading, though. It, yeah, which is really cool. Uh, apparently, people didn't like the original Golden Compass, but we're currently going through the series on HBO and finding it uh, lovely. I don't know if it's good compared to people who love the books. I love the books. Are you thinking of Pretty Little Liars? No, His Dark Materials is now on HBO, which is the Golden Compass series. Right, but Nicole Kidman is in Pretty Little Liars. With Amy Adams and I think, uh, who else is in So this episode we're talking about connectedness. Stop. Which TV show are you talking about? (laughs) Pretty Little Liars is the CW. Connectedness. What's the one with the... Nicole Kidman and Talking Reese Witherspoon. About a swamp. Oh, Fern Gully. Big, Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies is the HBO Tell me show. Lies, don't I got see pretty darn lies. close. Yeah, you did. Fern Gully was creepy. All right, tell back to the episode. Me, tell um, me ben. Lies. We can easily say a moment of connectedness is when they find out every every tree or every part of the swamp is one banyan tree. Yeah, oh yeah. So everything's connected in oh, a yeah, very yeah, yeah. literal sense. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Are you taking this seriously? Because we're taking it seriously. Yeah. Max and I are doing this. Yeah, he also said in the next line, something along the lines of, just as the Earth is one single organism and we are all connected. Which, is, do you find that to be true? Absolutely. Like, find, like in like... In a very literal sense, are we all connected? I believe so. I think so. Let's talk. So that's a moment of connectedness. Yeah, we're connected because we believe in the same thing. Huh. Huh. What else in this episode is a moment of connectedness uh, or moments that you found where connectedness shows through, seeing as that is our lens? I think it's interesting to think about begging as a form of connection. As a, as a bid for connection, Ooh. if you will. I like that. And I, I even admitted to you earlier on that I really struggled outside of like the normal or the very literal sense of connectedness that we see in the episode yeah. of seeing things. And that is something I absolutely missed. And Talk to so, me more about well, that. I, I think it's really interesting because there are several reactions that people typically have to people who are begging on the street. And... The most common reaction that I, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but my, I guess my perception that the most common reaction is that people avert their eyes and attempt to like almost ignore the fact that there is a living, breathing person trying to connect with you. And people like actively try to not make that connection. And I think that's really interesting because begging is you have to make a connection and then you have to 
put yourself on the line and say, hey, will you support me? Will you help me? Can you give me something out of the kindness of your heart to make me better, able to survive, etc." And most people completely bypass it and ignore it. Um, and I have to say that I'm that, ty- I'm that person. I actively avert my eyes when I drive by someone who is on the corner. Stay looking forward and never look out the passenger window. Yeah, it, it is, the, it is very rare that I make eye contact intentionally and wave, right? And when I do, I feel bad. And so I really have to, I, I had to think about and rumble with those feelings. Like, why am I averting my eyes? Why do I feel so uncomfortable? What are the, and so it makes it difficult for me to connect with people who are begging because I am so uncomfortable with the concept of begging myself, with putting myself in such a vulnerable position where I would need to ask others for help in that kind of way is so uncomfortable for me. Yeah, and I wonder what the reason, what everyone's individual reason is, because I feel like it has to change from person to person. I it must right because I think one there's probably a little bit of privilege in it, right? Like, if I am a female walking on the street, um, and I get approached by someone who's bigger than me, or if I'm a male approaching or on the street, or but like there, there might there's differences in situations. Um, there's been times where I've opened up to someone who was begging. And then that turned into a scary situation for me, where the person followed me for a very long time, like after having the conversation, after giving money, um, and that turned into an, it felt like an unsafe situation, in which case, that's tough to connect in, right? Like, um, and so I wonder what each individual person kind of has gone through in those moments, because that's not to say that every situation would be like that, but how many times has something along those lines taken place, or what is there, is there a fear and safety ever in those moments for people that and you have to be in a safe place to connect well yeah and i think safety is definitely something that comes up but like again it's so interesting because that's something that wasn't even on my radar safety is never really the thing for me it's that, that i'm so comfortable rather uncomfortable with if i were in that situation i don't know that i could and i i'm sure that like that's the issue is that i think that if i were put into that situation it's, it's hard for me to put myself into a place where I could understand me getting to the point where I would be begging on the street. Mm-hmm. That's so uncomfortable for me to imagine the series of events that would lead me to that. Right. So you avoid the concept so I avoid it. A, on the whole. Yeah. I don't want to think about this. This seems unpleasant. I have a privilege, privilege like, of being able to ignore it. I am so much more comfortable giving money when someone is performing for instance when someone is like i vividly remember someone uh playing saxophone and they were incredible on like and they were playing on the street and i was just like man and like i found here's five bucks here like yeah and i gave them money and it was to me that feels entirely different and so it's just interesting because tying that to the scene with Zuko and Iroh, Zuko is so humiliated, angry with the idea that they have to ask for money. We are royalty. And I really empathize with Zuko in this moment. <laughs> like, it's it's terrifying. And I get where he's coming from. And I, I feel his anger. I see it. And... To me, Iroh is what what an incredible teacher. One, it's really interesting for me because Iroh in this moment is so uncomfortably generous with his assumption. When this guy says, dance for me, and then, oh, I love seeing a fat guy dance, like, ha, ha, ha. Iroh sits down and says, what a nice man. And I don't, I, I don't know if he's being serious. I don't know if he, I, I just... There's is so he in much a better there. place to just ignore it? Like, is it is, is he, he ignoring is he a, it? Is he a happier person if he has that assumption? Well, like, does he get to live a happier life? Well, is is that truly his perspective, or is he saying that for Zuko's benefit, or is he like, tell me, like, I genuinely want to know what's going through his mind right there, because if he's genuinely feeling that way and says, "Wow, what a nice guy," uh, he's in a way different spiritual level than i am way different emotional intelligence level than i am because i would say it sarcastically if i was in that situation yeah i would be appreciative of the money 
I'd be like, and I would be, and I'd be like, and that guy was kind of a jerk. Yeah. Right. What a douche. Yeah. Which is dehumanizing language. Yeah. Both of us just use something like that. But that's what you would feel in that that. moment. Watching it, I felt that. And I wondered in, as I'm thinking about Iroh and as I'm thinking about like, how do I better myself in those situations? I have to acknowledge that for me, I'm only where I'm at today because people have helped me along the way. Like, because I've had people going to bat for me, because I've had people who are willing to train me, because I had um, the financial means to be able to go to college, because I had the financial means to be able to, you know, never worry about having a meal and never having to deal with that trauma, right? Like, so, like, I'm only where I'm at today because of several instances upon my journey of people helping me. Like, there was no way I would have made it here without anyone by my side at some point. Um and so is that just an extension of Iroh feeling a similar thing, right? Like sometimes I'm, I'm okay with begging this moment because I need help and I'm willing to ask for it, which is something that I feel can be very uncommon in certain circles that it is not okay to ask for help, regardless yeah. of whether or not that's panhandling. Well, I'm uncomfortable with like, asking for help. Like in work or like in relationships or anything for else. For me, like, it's like period. I yeah. suck at it. Which is, I think, important to realize. Like, I think those are things that we have to really ask ourselves. Like, most people love helping other people in most situations. You, you know and what? And this came, this brought, this, I just felt, I just got a connection to last episode where you were talking about how uh, patience, I had to be patient with you not doing things around the house. Mm-hmm. But then I had to learn to communicate with you in order to get that to happen. To me, the reason I was I struggled with communicating was because I was fearful of asking for what appeared to be and what felt like asking for your help. I was scared of it. And that led to a communication block, which led to me becoming impatient. It led to me feeling resentment, angry yeah. and resentment. And that's, an, that's a feeling that I don't want to feel. But for me to take two episodes of this podcast to process that, like that's so much time. On top of the fact that this happened years ago, and it's a continual process, but we've been living together for seven years. And so it's one of those things where the amount of learning required to get to this point is terrifying. Because well, now, now it lives in a place where, like, if I forget to do something or leave dishes in the sink or anything else, and you'll sit there, and it's normally a pretty immediate ask now. And my response, I don't think, has ever, like, been an eye roll or ever been like a, no, that's ridiculous. It's normally, oh. yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Um, but I think there's sometimes there's fear of what that answer is going to be when we're asking for help. Um, I don't want to ask for help because I'm afraid my boss will think I'm not doing my job well. And this is something I shouldn't need help on, so I'm not going to ask for help. When in reality, someone asking me, like if someone who I was supervising asks me for help, that shows that they truly care enough about, about their job. They care enough about the work that they're doing to do it right. So, right? Yeah. So asking for help in this moment, I love that you're saying it's a bid for connection. Yeah. It shows that you are looking to be connected to someone and to struggle through a process with that individual. And when you think about it in terms like that, I can't think of a more loving ask. Oh, uh, and it's vulnerable. It is. But then the feeling that you get when someone says, yes, I will rumble with this and you together and we can go through it together has got to be one of the most gracious feel like that's a feeling of true connection and true um true love i think that's exactly what it is it's love building yeah and so that the more we ask for help and the more that's reciprocated and the more we do that on a regular basis we are really creating an environment where people feel comfortable and feel loved yeah Um, i think it's so cool that that conversation came out of a two-minute scene. Yeah, I honestly didn't even think really had much to do with the episode or through the lens. In a kid's show. Yeah. Um, I think for me, one of the most, the biggest moments of connectedness was the moment in the swamp where they are, where Zuko and Katara are seeing... Zuko? Um, sorry, not Zuko. Sokka and Katara are seeing past loved ones. And how I kind of read into that was our past experiences. One, people never really leave us. Like those experiences, those memories don't leave us. And they drastically shape 
our present and our future. Um, and so there's a connection that lies through all that of saying like this moment will shape the way that I engage now, which could potentially shape the way that I engage later into something. But that life experience is what's really directing me and directs all of us. And so I saw a really long connection in that moment of seeing the past and recognizing that it might be a hallucination, but knowing that it's something that was very real in that moment in the present because it plays a big role in it. Well, again, they talk about how time is relative in this episode, which you mentioned last episode. Again, it seems like these are interesting connections between episodes, just saying it again. But like, time is relative. And so I think it's fascinating that Aang, Katara, and Sokka are thrown into three similar and separate experiences. And they're all connected by the fact that they, they all see this illusion. They all see someone that they miss or someone that they want, or someone that they love, that's what, someone they desire, if you will, whatever that emotion is, um, and it's not clear what it is that creates that. But I think it's interesting because if we treat it as someone that they love, which clearly Katara loved her mother, and she thinks about her daily, Sokka loved Yue in a way that, you know. Failure. Oh, you're the worst. You're the you're a terrible person. Sokka loves Yue. And then Aang loves who we come to find out is Toph, right? And we see that in the future, but we don't see it now. But the fact that love connects us all. And I think that that's something, again, that this is showing us. Like, how are these three separate experiences connected? I think it shows us that we're connected to the people we love regardless of where they are in our lifespan and in the time that we get to experience them. And they inform our decisions, our future, our past and our present. Yeah. This, this, the love that we feel and it's, it's, we've kind of hit on it several times, but it's really amazing how that really does connect us all, whether it's a a love of the same sports team or a love of music or in general, the love you feel for one of another, whether that's, platonic or romantic but how that really can connect those those feelings and it gives us uh, almost like a support system to, yeah. to really work with um, a root system if you will yeah, kind of like this banyan tree kind of like the banyan tree right which is a giant this is really just one tree and i think that's really cool to like see this giant mass expanse of miles and miles where it's just really just one one organism and why that was so important for Sokka to not cut through it and because it's the things he's cutting, he's breaking connections as he's going through it. Um, and it's very destructive. And I wonder if that's symbolic of anything in the way that we engage with one another. Well, it's interesting. Like, some people might call that just the circle of life. I actually, there's a moment of the circle of life for me when the catfish gator tries to eat mononucleosis and then the oppa, then me? the, the muck muck, uh, the catfish gator. You're the worst. It's Momo, people. Momo. Yeah. Sunshine, it's Momo. I wrote, yeah, no, mono. That's what I wrote. Momo. All right, so the catfish gator tries to eat Momo, and then um, Appa eats the catfish gator, so the, the catfish gator... doesn't actually eat it. Like, just yeah, like, like, picks it up with his mouth. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I was like, that was like a little food chain, like a, like a little yep. circle life moment. Um... Which I thought was fun. But then also, it's fun to think about the connection that the swamp people have with the catfish gator. Um, pet. As a pet. As a part of the family, I think he says. He's one of the family. Um, and the way that we view our pets and the connections that we have with them. Um, when other things might think they're food, right? Like, yeah. It's like, it's it's interesting how we internalize that and like the connection we have with the animals that we keep in our homes. Yeah. Uh, it's just an interesting little side note. But I thought that was a funny moment. Well, it's just interesting. So going back to this circle of life comment, like cutting up this swamp on Sokka's part, like the, Katara and Sokka are both like, yo, don't do this. Don't do this. He gets told multiple times. He's like, no, no, no. It's totally cool. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And continues to do it. But we we learn that we're all connected. But at the same time, like at some point we have to think about like, does that mean that vegetarians can't eat either? Like, okay, if we're all connected, we can't cut up plants. Now we can't eat. Like, at some point, there's got there's a line. Well, I wonder if that even goes to like the well, no, that you're meant to. Like, you're meant to eat that to give you like 
exactly substance, right and then you give back to that in a way shape or form to continue that substance in the well that's kind of my again. point so Sokka cutting up those branches to make a fire for their warmth doesn't seem out of line however like they get punished for it because they all get dragged off into the distance but it's and, but really is it a punishment but just like they all it's there's this, it's just interesting do you read anything to the way that they have to engage by themselves and the way they have to engage when they're together? And, and I don't know. I don't have an answer for this. This is really just a, a one-off thought. But, like, is there a difference in the way that when they're by themselves and the way they behave and as opposed to when they're all together? You know, I don't know. I think it's interesting to think about, like, uh, if they're all connected, then why are they separated? And they're separated into first into two groups and then into multiple groups because it's Appa and Momo in one group and then Aang, Sokka, and Katara in the other. And then it splits up even more. So Aang and Katara and Sokka then split up. And so it's interesting because they all split up, realize they have this vision then that is ultimately what brings them back together, right? And then eventually that vision leads them to the swamp monster thing, which is really just water bending the plants, the water and the plants. Which like is that early blood bending? Like is that or like is that in a, a hint, way is that a hint to early blood bending? The fact that he is moving what you might consider earth because of the water that's in it, he's able to bend it, and it's a. Uh... Maybe it's our first little hint at bloodbending in the future. Maybe. But I can Bloodbending is a very scary thing, Max. It is very uncomfortable, and we don't like it. Kind of like a Dementor's kiss? Um, sure. Not quite the same. But we're not talking about Lord of the Rings right now. Wow. No, I, I know. That's my fault. Sorry. Y'all should continue with your bear breakers. I don't get it. Swamp Thing. Dude in the swamp. Let's talk about him, shall we? Yeah, he's defending the swamp. Yeah, and so is what is is he defending connection? Interesting. And then if if he is, if that's his thing, how do we do that in our world? How do we defend connection? Um, and what does that look like? So what I guess what are moments of disconnection that we actively see? Like one of the things I really appreciate about Swamp Guy Man, Hugh is his name. Is as soon they, they say, oh, because he's hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Somebody in this show is just named Hugh. Y'all have been using all kinds of wacky names, and there's a dude just named Hugh. Yeah, that's the but that's he's my favorite character. <laughs> I think you'd actually probably like Hugh. I think you should watch that episode. I probably won't, <laughs> anyway. Hugh is that's so stupid. There are people named Ang and Zuko and Azula. So he does remember their he names. Does. He's listening. He's paying attention a little bit. And then, <laughs> and then there's just a Hugh. Yeah. Is it like is, is there's it, also an Appa and a Mushi? They don't, they don't. It's Momo. They don't spell it Max. So it's not just like. Well, I'm wondering you know, if it's like 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 a hue of color. You're right. That's it. Probably is. In which case, it's dumb again. Or is it like H I U? No. What? Why would it be that? Hugh. Just thinking of a different way to spell it. Anyway. I'm going to look it up on IMDb and see what I can figure out. Continuous. Moral of the story is, I think Hugh is interesting because he is this guardian of the swamp. And as soon as he hears that Aang is like, you brought me here. Why are you trying to hurt me? As soon as he says that, all of a sudden he stops fighting. And to me... Defense of connection is interesting because as soon as there was communication, that defense was no longer necessary. And I think oftentimes we go into things more combative than we need to be when if we only used our words, if we only sought first to understand, then I think we'd be able to build connection more effectively. What do you think about that? Hugh is not listed on IMDb, and that's what I was paying attention to right now. Isn't he great at multitasking? <laughs> I can do this both. This has been a great sunshine thing for years and years and years. It's part that, of his windiness. Yeah. He's actually listed as mind. Swamp Monster on, on the credits. That You should have been paying attention to Pruitt, and that's my honest opinion on, on that. Sure. Uh, can I get the headline, please? I'm sorry. 
homeboy's fighting he stops fighting they stop fighting because they were talking and as soon as they started talking oh my goodness we do realize we don't need to fight anymore so in a way to build connection and to maintain this quote defense of connection which is your original question Mm -hmm. right is it that we just need to communicate yeah well we've said it before on this on the show it's it's tough to hate people close up i don't know if you've heard of her but that's a Brene brown quote oh my goodness um, but it's, it is right. Like if you can have a conversation and then communicate, you're going to realize you're more connected than you think you are. Um, and I think that that is what's going to allow us to heal some gaps or heal some, um, some wounds that exist out there. And we talked about, uh, preconceived notions last episode and, and, and so, yeah, I think so, but it, sometimes it's tough to do that. Sometimes it's tough to come in and talk, especially if it's not a safe place. Well, Hugh even says, like, if you listen hard enough, you'll see you'll see the connection and hear the connection and everything. Yes, you'll be able to feel the heartbeat of the world, if like something along those. Which lines. is how Aang finds Appa and, and and Mushi. Momo. I'm failing to see how you're connecting my correction from earlier to your connection now it seems, so, it seems just, like there's just, like a, a synapse doing the not best firing i, can. I just um, i genuinely don't believe that <laughs> i need you to assume the best I, i'm um, assuming that you're um intentionally ruining the show but it is like you do you have to stop you have to listen you have to pay attention you have to do a better job of listening than i than i did previously um but it, it's it is important to have those conversations but you have to be in a safe place to be able to do that um, and I think that's sometimes what we forget is that safe spaces get listed as this place of like, it's a joke, right? Like it's, it's like we have to build you a wall to protect you. And the reality is, no, you just have to build a place where people can feel safe to, to connect. Um, and that's really what you're looking for in a place to belong. So um, I think that's an interesting moment of just, you're right. He stops, he stops automatically what he's doing and they have a conversation about it and that's it and it's over. And they realize they've got nothing to worry about. Yep. Um, and in a culture that is solely based, or not solely, but is heavily based on fear, um, that we act a lot based off of fear, I wonder what that would change if we didn't have that fear anymore for being able to talk through things. I agree. So. Speaking of this fear, uh, I think it's interesting uh, when Sokka and Angry and Katara are walking through Katara, they, they seem fearful. They seem scared. They're alone. It's dark, and they're fearful. And one of the things that comes up is this: like, do you get the feeling we're being watched? Somebody's and... watching me. So okay. Max is shaking his head. He, I peaked the levels. I'm sure of it. Anyway, uh, I this feeling of being watched in a way is a form of connection tell me more so have you ever felt that like okay some like someone's staring at me and then you look around and someone was trying to get your attention right and they weren't like waving their arms they were just looking at you you ever felt that has that been have you experienced that before um i don't know if i have honestly like i don't think max have you experienced that before yeah man i'm right with you I've experienced that several times. There's I been know... times where I've looked around and caught someone looking at me, but like I, I don't think that's what you're asking. I think no, but like sometimes, like somebody sometimes in a room there's... will say something that's funny to you and one other person in the room. So like you try to make eye contact with them, and then you do because See, even... they felt you staring at them. And and I think that that's what I'm thinking is when you feel someone staring at you, when you feel the when you feel the presence of another literally mm-hmm. right like look out the window right now no i'm just kidding no. there's nobody there. <laughs> no but anyway like there's there's something in our bodies that we there's a literal physical sensation that we get when we connect with someone else and sometimes that's really weird because we don't know how it happened and i think it's interesting because there's actually a nerve in our body called the vagus nerve i don't know if i've talked about this before i don't know if you have but, but there's there's a wonderful uh what happens in that nerve there's a wonderful researcher it stays named... there matt <clears throat> yeah thank you <laughs> there's a wonderful researcher named barbara frederickson she's actually a professor at unc chapel hill i think you have brought this up before but continue because i don't remember the vagus nerve is barbara nerve... Bredrickson. 
<laughs> oh my god. <laughs> There's a nerve that connects our brain to our heart and it is vibrating on a frequency. And what happens is when people are more connected, that measurable frequency that is vibrating there between you and another person starts to vibrate more and more closely together until they're vibrating on the same frequency. And there are literally things that you can do to... Uh, so when me and Max snuggle? There are things you can do to literally synergize those two frequencies between one person and another. There are like so the there are four behaviors that are uh, measurably increase that synergy. One is eye contact. Two is nodding. So when you're talking to someone, like nodding in their direction in a positive way is going to build that connection. Leaning in, so literally how close you are to that person makes a difference in how uh, similar that frequency is. And then smiling. Those are the four behaviors that literally have been measured to make that synapse fire at a similar rate to where the, that frequency is happening. And um, I'm probably botching all of the language and things like that, but it's really fascinating because that connection is what kind of helps people connect. When that is um, vibrating on the same frequency, you are you measurably feel more connected to the person with whom you're vibrating with. And so it's interesting to me to think about how often when like we're antagonizing one another, when we are fighting, when those things are happening, it's probably because we're on such different frequencies until we start to um, look at one another, start to bond. And then all of a sudden that what I would call love starts to happen and you start to vibrate on the same frequency and that connectedness literally begins to happen where you're vibrating on a same frequency as another. And that's something that we've like, that's a colloquialism that is used in this language where you're like, Oh, we're like on the same frequency. Like we're, Oh, we're vibrating at the same, you know, that's a kind of thing that people say to say, Hey, we're connected. We're in the zone together. Like, and I just think that's really interesting to think about in this perspective, because that's something that came up. Like when you listen hard enough, you'll hear the heartbeat of the world. When you put yourself in a place where you can literally be on quote, the same page as someone else. It's just really, it's interesting. Yeah, I almost think of uh, the book Click. Yep. So when I'm thinking about... we talked so, about that before, I think, yeah, too. Yeah, so the, the, well, the five things that you need to, to click with someone and connect with someone. So uh, safety, physical and emotional safety is one of them um, that is an accelerator of click. Uh, r resonance, uh, having same emotional values or feeling like you are uh, have similar traits that are pushing you along the same path. Um similarities which is not a quality of similarities like sometimes we think political beliefs or religious beliefs would carry more weight than we have the same shoes or we like the same movie um, but the data would support that support that the more similarities you have the more likely you are to click um have i said proximity yet proximity how close you are together and then vulnerability how able the ability to be able to trust and be vulnerable with each other and so when i think about the gang um how do they really play into all of those? Proximity, they're really close with each other for a long period of time. That's accelerating their ability to click. Their values are very similar. Um, they have a similar goal. Um, their physical and emotional safety is hit or miss, but for the most part, I would say they're in a safe space when they're together. Um, but even in this episode, you kind of see that, 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 that when the way they click with all the swamp people is when they realize they're physically and emotionally safe. They realize they're all waterbenders and they share similarities. They come all close to each other and are able to have conversations um, and open up about what makes them them and be vulnerable with each other. And so it's just interesting People to see. are hard to hate close up. Exactly. But it's interesting to see that book or those accelerators all kind of in use in that moment once they start to talk to each other and realize, like, please don't eat my bison. Um, but, yeah. That was something that came to mind for me. Absolutely. Came <laughs> to mind for me, too. All right. Do we have anything else that we want to share about this episode before we move on to our uh, mail call and, and to our devotion for the day? Only this. Why do things keep on attaching to Sokka? So it was the Pentapox, or the Pentapus first, our last episode. 
And then the leech this and episode. The, oh, the those massive leech. What do they call them? El- not- it was an, she said elbow leech. It was a leech on his elbow. Mm, yes, but apparently that's all they they only attach to elbows. But I don't know if that's leeches what it was. are leeches scared the crap out of me the first time I got bit by one. I, less terrifying now, but Max, you ever been bit by a leech? Not as far as I know. Hmm. Good talk. All right. Um, well, we've got a voicemail from our friend Cole, and we are going to listen to it right now. You have reached the voicemail box of... Bending, not breaking. Please leave a message after the tone. Hey, Ben, it's Sunshine, and now uh, Max. Thank you all so much for making these episodes. It's been really lovely to hear these new thoughts on the series we all know and love. One thing I've had some good conversations about after listening to the last season how masculinity is portrayed in Aang and Zuko. Y'all talked a lot about how each of them experience and give affection throughout the series, and in particular the lack of affection that Zuko experiences from his dad. This guy, my brother, talking about how affection from father figures is so often used as a basis for the development of masculinity, and how characters with negatively masculine traits like Zuko are often contrasted with a more positively masculine character with a good parental relationship. Think like Adam versus Otis from Sex Education, or Boromir versus Sam from Lord of the Rings, or really any of the other main hobbits. Um, But here we have Zuko, violent and revenge-driven and completely unable to process his emotions or open up to other people. Classic, negatively masculine character, contrasted with Aang, who is definitely not the classic positively masculine hero with a great parental relationship. As y'all were saying, during his childhood, he's really only shown personal affection by Monk Yatso, who he's eventually forced to run away from as he's stuffed into the kind of shoebox of his spiritual ceremonial role as the Avatar. So we get this kind of more nuanced view of masculinity and how affection can affect a kid growing up, especially as Iroh comes into the story. So anyways, I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts about that dichotomy or general comparisons between Zuko and Aang that are made. So thanks again, and I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about it. Wow, Cole, thank you so much for that question and just your thoughtful recording. I think that we are blessed to have you with us in this journey of just discovering more about ourselves with Avatar. So uh, the fact that you're bringing up masculinity is um, really interesting because masculinity in and of itself is really nuanced. And frankly, I don't know if I quite understand it entirely. So I'm going to talk about values for a second. I think for me, values are derived from I think that they're learned. They're not necessarily um, nature. So I think it's more nurture where our values come from. And I think masculinity is similar. I think that the way we treat ourselves, the way we treat um, each other, and the way we treat our gender, which is a construct anyway, is all kind of derived from something from places and people that we learn from. And I think that Zuko had a father figure who you're right, had just gave zero affection and frankly was abusive and caused trauma in his life. Whereas Aang, until he learned of the Avatar and had to run away, didn't seem to have that much of a traumatic childhood. In fact, he seemed to really thrive in his childhood. So I think that there is contrast between the two characters. I think it's just not the typical way that we would see it. And it's not... um, the way that you would expect, which is one of the reasons Avatar is so great. So thank you for your time, and thank you for your voicemail. We love having uh, fans' input. Yeah, and if you have anything to contribute, we want to hear it. We want to hear your voicemail. You can send it at uh, send it to thearcofe at gmail.com, and we want to hear your input. We want to hear your questions. We want to hear your voice, and we want to, we want to hear you. That's all I want to say. You. Tell us more. Let's be connected. Connect with us. Yeah. Although, please connect with us in less than two minutes and (laughs) make sure that your voicemail is clear and concise. And we just really appreciate you for that, too. Ben, we are now looking through the lens of connectedness through the element of water. 
Um, and so, is there anything you're going to do this week with the element of water in mind through the lens of connectedness of something that you want to work on this week? So, one of the things that helps me connect with others is when I'm in a good headspace. Uh, when I'm in a good headspace and when I am feeling good about me, I am better equipped to connect with other people. And the reason I say this in the water perspective is that water is the, the greatest purifier. It's the greatest solvent. And so it dilutes acids. It takes things that are typically harmful and dilutes it to the point where it's no longer harmful. And sometimes that means that the water absorbs that and it can be hard if done too much. But I think that when you think of it in that perspective, I want to be more of a solvent and I want to get rid of those acids in my life and have a clear headspace so that I can connect with other people. That's, that's kind of where I am. For me, I, when I think of, um, water as kind of you talking about taking some of the toxins and being able to filter those. Yeah. Um, a lot of that, the water comes through taking on and understanding the way that other people are feeling. And I think that the things that you were talking earlier about how that makes your heart nerve resonate and makes it vibrate at the same consistency is a really great way to visually show someone that you're speaking with that you are listening and you are seeking to understand and you are paying attention as a way of making connections. So if I'm nodding my head and I am leaning in to, to hear the conversation, um, that's a really good way of showing empathy and showing that you're, you're trying to hear someone. And I think for me it's continuing to practice those skills because I don't think I'm perfect at it and I think that I need to be more conscious of that a lot of the time and so that's gonna be my goal for the week when people are speaking with me am I actively engaged in that conversation um, showing them that I care I want to listen to what they have to say and so am I leaning in is my body language off-putting or is it one that's welcoming um, smiling nodding I think those are really good skills for me to practice this week I like it yeah Max, anything for you? You're gonna do anything this week uh, to help better yourself? Probably, yeah. Excellent. Can't wait to hear all about it next week. Next week we have another wonderful episode, and we are going to be speaking about episode five through the lens of what, Ben? We're gonna be viewing that episode and listening through a lens of justice. Justice. Yeah. Awesome. I imagine that's going to be a like, rowdy episode. Like David Justice. Yeah, exactly like that. Totally. Well, that was a that was a joke for Max. Yeah, who's that? He played baseball. Sports. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate you all uh, continuing to, to follow our podcast. We love doing it, um, but it really means a lot when you all send in voice memos and let us know that you appreciate what we do and um, we're doing it for fun, and we're doing it just to, to be excited. But if you want to contribute, the Arc of E has a Patreon, so please go to patreon.com backslash the Arc of E, and feel free to donate anything that uh, you would like to. Um, that helps us pay Max Gongwer, and so um, I'm sure he would appreciate that as well. I am Sunshine Mayfield. This is Ben Pruitt. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.